Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. I uh, <clears throat> had the opportunity a year and some months ago to be at a conference in Missouri. And um, one of the towns, cities in, in Missouri, Springfield, has a uh, network of a internet network, uh, fiber base. And um, it was interesting. The thing that actually caught my attention was not so much they had the network, but when the uh, manager of network architecture and support, Todd Christel, uh, gave a presentation, he talked about um, – bringing teenagers into the some of the planning sessions for, you know, figuring out where the network was going to go next. And it hit me as being so forward-thinking and so rational and logical and so forth, but I always wanted to get them on the show to talk about not only that, but clearly they, they have, um, you know, unique and interesting ways of looking at themselves as a broadband service provider that I just said, you know, we we, we got to learn more about what they're doing. So luckily today, um, our guest is Todd Christel, um, and and he's agreed to come on the show and talk about uh, SpringNet, uh, a little bit about its history, and really delve into the role of public utilities in bringing broadband out to um, to communities. So Todd, first, thank you very much for being a guest on the show. Really appreciate you you being here today. Hey, thank you, Craig. And so let's start with the the history, because actually you folks have been at this for a while. Yeah, especially in Internet time. It's been a very long time, I think. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the fiber, uh, we started hanging fiber on our poles in 1987, uh, basically for internal communications, for the utility, because we're electric, gas, water, and transit and, and broadband utilities, so so uh, we're kind of spread out over the metro area. So so the fiber went in for communications between our substations and our telephone network, and uh, and that started in '87. So, mm-hmm. so when was it that uh, you you and the the group? By the way, how did decision making happen? I should probably ask this question. You're, so you're a public utility. You have a business that is not the direct purview of the, the mayor and city council per se, right? It's, it's pretty much a separately run organization. Uh, but just give me a little bit about the, um, you know, the operational, how decision-making happens. Yeah, so the, the interesting thing is, is that um, actually our charter, uh, telecommunications, was written in as one of the things that, that we – should take care of uh, in our original charter. So, from that aspect, we're not a hundred percent. You know, we're not completely opposed to, to the utility operation. Um, I, I uh, now one thing. I guess I kind of suspect this a little bit that um, you know, back in the late '90s, uh, electric deregulation was going on, and utilities were looking at it and kind of wondering, you know, what that meant to them. And and I and I think people in city utilities 
looked at the fiber that they had. Uh, we were providing some telephone services to uh, local government, to, to the health care, to education. Um, but they thought that, that if they established a uh, – a, a division of city utilities that offered commercial broadband services, that that would kind of give them insight into what it meant to be in a competitive market. And so, mm -hmm. so I think there was a little bit of test laboratory idea there at the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. That's not written down anywhere, but uh, – um, and, so, and so that's what they decided to do. They decided uh, – they hired me, and, and they said, we want to try and, and monetize, commercialize our fiber network, and and uh, you know we're we're a municipal utility, we're a community asset. So let's see if we can bring value to the community by using using these uh, resources that we have. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So so basically, it has been an evolution, but in um, in many respects, it's kind of a. Uh, I don't know, I guess earth-shaking development in the sense that you guys were ahead of the pack building fiber infrastructure long before anybody was really paying attention to what that meant or what it would mean to communities down the road. Yeah, that that's absolutely – yeah, that's right. And 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 actually, you know, of course, when I started, I was I was looking at what a traditional, you know, service provider, an ISP, um, did, and back then everybody used telephone circuits to deliver data, uh, the infamous T1s and DS3s and, and, uh, and, and packet over Sonnet, and, and we had a Sonnet network, and so, so we, that's the way we started. And it really wasn't more than a year before I realized that that just was not the business model. It, it, it was expensive. It added complexity. Um, it didn't scale very well. So, so I, it was like, well, how come? I, why can't I just drive the fiber directly with the routers? Why do I need this telephone stuff in, in between, you know, me and the customer? And so I started looking for equipment that uh, uh, that, that I could plug our fiber optic cables into directly and mm -hmm. found a vendor and uh, in about 2000. And so uh, we started working on the network. And it, actually in 2001, we delivered our first gigabit service delivery to, to a uh, commercial customer. So 2001. Wow. Yeah. So, so we were doing Google Fiber, I guess, back in, in 2001. Um, now, back then, there, you know, there really weren't too many customers that, that, who had equipment that could even handle it. So, so most of our connections were, uh, uh, were, were 100 megabit. But we, we, from the very beginning, we have been fiber all the way to the customer, so it's completely fiber, fiber optic network, completely optical. Um, it is a symmetrical service. So upstream and downstream, same speed. We don't limit or throttle traffic. So if we give you a 100 megabit connection, uh, that is exactly the speed that you can operate at. And, and it is native Ethernet. So you can just, you, you, rather than going into, plugging your network into some sort of a telephone interface so that you can get on, on their network, uh, you, ju you just plug your Ethernet cable, cable directly in, into our network and, and you're good to go. Mm -hmm. so, so having a gig, so now when you introduce the gigabit service, um, I mean, you talk about people not having uh, equipment and so forth that could take advantage of it, but do people even have a, 
I don't know, a mental capacity to even understand what a gig might mean? Or were they just said, okay, well, they're, they're doing a gig that's nice, but I'll take my five megs or two megs or whatever and yeah. go on about my business? You know, Craig, actually, I don't think today people really understand <laughs> what a gigabit means when I go to conferences and listen to people talk. Um, but definitely back, uh, you know, 14 years, 13, 14 years ago, um, yeah. The, the, the one customer that probably had the best idea on how to use it was uh, one of our uh, large hospitals here. Uh, mm-hmm. they, we put them entirely on our network and um, and. and gigabit to the main facility, and one of the first things they realized was that they could relocate their radiology department into another building mm-hmm. and centralize their, 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 their reading of their x-rays. So, so in the main hospital, in the ER, in their clinic, wherever it was that they were doing radi- radiological uh, uh, type operations, that they could t- take, use our network to get that all back to their, uh, uh, to their radiologists for reading. So, mm-hmm. so now... That was um, that was pretty innovative for its time, wasn't it? That ability to um, take what was a data-intensive operation uh, and now be able to manage that and 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 so forth. I mean, did they end up offering additional services? Did they did, you know did they promote it as you know here's another reason to come to Springfield? How did they you know? I mean, besides using the data for obviously operational purposes, but how did they otherwise maximize on having that kind of speed? So, okay, so I, I, I guess um, maybe I should – we offer two different services. Uh, we offer high-speed Internet, uh, which we call NetLink, which in the mm-hmm. beginning was 45 megabits per second. That was high-speed. Um, and we offer a Layer 2 service, uh, which we call LandLink. And essentially that is a – true expansion of a company's local area network. They, they can just plug their local area network in in one building and, and, and plug another building in, and it's, it's, it acts just like they are sitting in the same building over the whole metro area. Um, so the hospital could do the same thing. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so essentially, rather than coming up with, with complex schemes on, on routing and, and different things, you know, they, they could just migrate the services that, that they were using right onto the network. So, so when they came up, when they uh, created their, their data center, they could make it remote and, and inter- interconnect with the hospital and all the other facilities at line speed, um, at very low latency, and... And, and I and I think that was one of the – if there was a revolutionary thing that we did was we put the infrastructure in, it, you know, it's, it, it's plumbing. We put it in. It's not hard. It just works, and it can expand into anything that they need to do. And so, so all of a sudden then the whole, the whole network thing just kind of goes out of their mind, and they just develop their business model. And – and so far, anything that they've wanted to do technology-wise or network-wise, our network has been able to handle. So, so it, it, it was it, the revolutionary part is that we gave them an evolutionary path just to grow their business in, into the capabilities of the network. See, well, Speed. that's all good stuff, though. <laughs> so now, how did the service evolve from two thousand? And one, you talked about the, you know, the hospital, the medical facility being the one that was able to, you know, maximize the most 
from that. But then what has happened last, wow, that's like 13 years. I mean, yeah. this just gives an overview of some of the, I don't know, the milestones of your evolution from where you were then to where you are now. So um, we're being a utility. Uh, there are certain things that you just have you just have to do. Uh, reliability is number one. You know, our, nobody in our area worries when they turn the tap on and get to drink of water that the water is going to be poisonous. Or nobody, when they flip the light switch, they just assume the lights are going to come on. And and so so our network was built with that idea from the very beginning. Um, mm-hmm. We we rather than the old phone ring architecture, we we run multiple fiber paths in and out of all of our uh, the, the points of presence where we connect our customers so that we can not only do survive multiple failures. You know, in Missouri, we have uh, tornadoes and we have ice storms. And so the network was designed so that we could lose multiple parts of our cable plant and still have the service up. Um, so we monitor the service so that we don't oversubscribe anything. And mm-hmm. so uh, actually the network ran w- without a hitch, scaled very well until about 2009, and we started running out of resources. And so at that point then we completely rebuilt the network. We built a brand-new overlay network on top of the old one because mm-hmm. we, we couldn't do anything to interrupt our customers. Right. And, right. and it was, it, we put in a, it went to a 10-gig backbone, uh, still cross-connected like like the old one, and uh, we we converted it to an MPLS network. So so we used kind of a newer technology. Um, we also over the years have upgraded our internet from 45 megabits a second to five gigabits per second, and um, and once again with the idea that the service can't go down. Uh, um, speed is if, if if you look on surveys, speed is a couple of notches down. It you know reliability is is closer to the top than speed usually is, mm-hmm. and so so we have our five gigabits to the internet over four separate upstream carriers, and they come in over four separate cable op or uh, fiber optic cables, and go into routers in four separate data centers that we have in Springfield. So. Um, one of our customers was looking at some logs, and they said, uh, "They said, hey, we, we just checked our Internet, and it has not been down for seven years. Whoa. That's amazing. <laughs> and that, that, yeah, but, that pretty much rivals what the, what, the, you know, what the traditional, if you will, larger incumbents can do. Because, I mean, I, seven years without interruption of Internet services is, is pretty – Fantastic in my book. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I've ever heard uh, anything like that. So, uh, um, 2005, we started routing IPv6, and I think you know I am an IPv6 proponent. I think there's mm-hmm. more that's going to happen there, innovation-wise, than gigabit personally. Um, and so, and uh, as of about six, five months ago, I guess. Um, our, our network is uh, is ready for software defined networking SDN. Mm-hmm. So so we oh. are, we have some p- pilot projects to uh, to do some SDN stuff. Mm-hmm. So now in um, <clears throat> in '09 you talked about doing a you know major 
uh, overhaul of the system. Did you folks uh, pursue any of the broadband stimulus uh, money when it came out, or did you were you already set and didn't have to worry about that? You know, we applied, but um, we we weren't a good fit for it. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't actually. I, I did some of the technical stuff, but I wasn't part of the application process. But, but I, I think it was, you know, if it was number of jobs. Since we were already established, we weren't going to be creating new jobs, and and so, you know, it was basically would have just built infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I can see why that might not be the ideal candidate for, um, you know, for uh, for stimulus money. By the way, how big is uh, population-wise? How big is, is Springfield? Yeah, almost 151,000. Mm-hmm. And, and now that, you know, no, that, so that's our metro area. Um, you know, we also have agreements with some of the cooperatives uh, 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 that border us uh, to exchange uh, data. Uh, you know, in the same using the same methods that we do, so that that companies in Springfield they got so used to the way we do it that you know they had branches outside of Springfield and they're like, we we want to connect the same way. It just works too well, and so so we set up uh, kind of peering arrangements with with our. Uh, uh, with the co-ops around us so that we can extend our, our territory into, into Arkansas and Oklahoma and, and kind of, you know. There's just, uh, just sort of, I don't know, there's opportunistic kind of uh, expansion, but mainly taking care of your of your primary core business, which was Springfield. Yeah, I mean we're the we're the you know municipal utility here, so mm-hmm. so so this is this is uh, this is what we're supposed to do is take care of our community. So now, and, in, uh, terms, uh, in terms of uh, you know being a public utility, from your perspective, is moving into broadband services like as logical as, as waking up and breathing air. I mean, because when we, before we started the show, you talked about, we talked about the fact that there's only about 50, I'm sorry, 60, 70 public utilities that have networks, but there are uh, quite a few public utilities around the U S. Um, the, coming back to my question, you know, is this a natural transition in, in your mind? Do you see other public utilities, uh, going down the same path. You know, I think it makes sense. I mean, you know, when, when you look at public and, and, and private in, in the electric industry, the you know, the public tends to be around the natural monopolies, which is usually hanging the, all the wires and you know, the, the distribution of electricity inside of a city and the, and the private side tends to be, you see a lot more of the generation of electricity. And so, you know, we have... As, as a utility, we we have experience uh, hanging fiber optic or hanging cable on poles, and hanging fiber optic cable is not that much different um, than, than any other conductor that we uh, we hang on a pole. Um, and and actually, all, almost all of our backbone is actually aerial; it's it's hung on poles rather than being uh, uh, being trenched in. So. Uh, so I, you know, I I see it as 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 a natural thing for for a municipality to do or a public utility to do. Now the hard part is the fact that the business model is so different. 
Um, you know, the utility is regulated. It they set rates um, and and they respond to market conditions or externalities like weather, for example. Uh, you know, uh, a cool summer, a warm winter. Um, you know, they, res- they the only way they can respond to that is by controlling expenses in order to stay within their their budgets because of the rates. For us, if we spend money, we are adding new customers and we are making money. And so so you you have this dissonance between the, the two, you know, just the the business models are completely different. And so and when when the you the normal part of the utility is so much larger than the broadband side uh and you you know, it, it it's it's a hard decision for for people to make that you know way above me that make those decisions so mm-hmm. so i i i i think if for, for one is if somebody is going to get into this is they really really need to identify their stakeholders and that is you know their local government their chamber of commerce and all of their upper management at the utility and really make sure that that everybody understands what's going on and that they have buy-in from everybody mm-hmm. um and uh, Hanging fiber on a pole is not delivering broadband services. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and and I think uh, there are utilities out there, or there, are, there, you know, there are businesses out there that you can, you know, that that's pretty apparent. Um, so, so I I think it is you, they have to go on and they have to hire, uh, um, you know, the right kind of people that can develop the business model, that can advise them, and can kind of get get them on the on the right path. We have been. We have been cash positive since the very beginning because we can't not – I mean, that's our only option. We can't be uh, 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 subsidized by the rest of the utility. So so our model has been – we have generated uh, uh, revenues, uh, net income, uh, since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, and I'm sure success breeds success and political support because by virtue of the fact that you are – cash positive, you can fend off any of those folks who say, you know, the, the, the public, uh, the government shouldn't be in this business and, uh, you know, all that usual stuff that people trot out, you're fairly immune to that, right? I mean, you're, because you, you're proving to be a, um, you know, a cash positive aspect when government in, in general is viewed upon as something that spends money only, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and and you know so we're, and we're not so cash positive that we're just generating you know, these huge huge profits because that's not what we're here for either. You know we're we're here to provide service, essential service to the community, and um, and and so but we you know we we need enough there so that that we have a little bit of buffer to to you know to, to, just to be safe and uh, and yeah I mean government doesn't have to cost the people it it can it can be self sustaining. Mm-hmm. So if you were to ponder what might be some reluctances to go into this business, what might some of those be? Well, I guess, um, well, you know, I, I, I think to, today I, I think it's a lot of it is uh, legislation. It is things like the FCC trying to decide if data services are regulated or an unregulated uh, uh, service. Um, you have states that are passing laws that says that you know that cities cannot provide uh, uh, 
internet services you know to and and so do you go down the path do you invest money do you you know and and then and then get shut down because because somebody passes a law that you know that takes you out of business um i i think things are just maybe a little bit volatile right now to for somebody mm-hmm. to there's a well, lot of things I, to consider yes I, I and i would agree um you know you have on the one hand uh states that have these restrictive laws luckily you have states such as um north carolina and um Oh, we're at uh, Tennessee, where there are a number of legislators working to turn back some of these laws. You know, my understanding yeah. is that in uh, in North Carolina, there's only really one uh, legislator, though that person is sort of the head of the legislature, so it becomes problematic. But the the, the sort of the rank and file uh, legislators want to repeal their very restrictive laws in Tennessee you have a similar kind of thing. I, I would think that um, if, if communities were to use and cite the examples of the successful public utilities, they might get a little leverage in those legislative battles. Um, because at a certain point, you, you know, your efforts represent a positive economic development impact on local communities. I, mean, I, I assume that the, the economic impact is is a is a um, clear part of your uh, success story there at, at SpringNet, correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, we we have companies that you know when they come to look at Springfield uh, broadband SpringNet actually specifically uh, we've had some some of the large companies that have moved here you know they they mentioned SpringNet. We need to be able to get SpringNet fiber to us if we're going to to relocate here. Um, we got Expedia. Uh, actually, Expedia.com uh, started out in Springfield as a startup, and then got sold off and expanded into Expedia, and of course left the city. and And then they returned uh, to open up a call center here in in our uh, old. Uh, you know, we we made a new airport terminal, and so they they took up the abandoned airport terminal, um, added uh, hundreds of jobs, and. And, and actually, uh, one of the things that we battle for a national company is they're used to dealing with the incumbents, and so when they hear SpringNet, it's like they, you know, they, they're not sure who that is, and, and yeah. so they feel, you know, you know, the old, you know, you don't get fired for buying Big Blue back in the old days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, so they are actually going to have one of the incumbents uh, provide service, and came up to a week before they were supposed to open this large facility, and the incumbent said, "You know, I don't think we're going to be able to make it. It'll probably be another sixty days." Mm-hmm. And and so they came to us and they said, "Is there any way?" And and we had fiber into their building and had them connected in a week. Wow! And they've never and they've never left. Uh huh. Huh. So 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 the yeah. So clearly the economic impacts are there and it's demonstrable. I mean, you can, you know, in in your case, it's not just a hypothetical. You guys have cases you can point to and you've got folks talking about what it is that you're doing. And I would go then sort of to the next level and say that um, fostering this type of publicity, this type of 
public recognition for your successes in drawing business is a um, a, a key tactic to, to generating new customers and more political yes. clout and just kind of keep the cycle going. And 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 there's there's another side to that. And actually, I I think you touched on that very well on the survey that you did. Um, you know, I, I go to these conferences, and everybody's talking about attracting and retaining talent, um, which really is a zero-sum game, because if I'm attracting, you're not retaining. Mm-hmm. I mean, where are the people coming from if I'm attracting and somebody else is losing them? And so, and, and so you know, one of the books I read said, you know, you, you try to ask why five levels deep. And so, you know, you go, okay, so why do we want to attract people here? Well, because... You know, it brings jobs. Well, why do we want to have jobs in Springfield? Well, it fosters. You know, it's a local economy. And you know, what, why are we worried about that? Well, you know, and and so it's so it's like okay. So what we're really talking about is a way to grow the city, to improve the quality of life here, um, to raise people's wages so that they can, they they can enjoy life a little bit more rather than just you know subsiding, and. Um, it, you know, there's a whole lot that can be done today with the people that already have whatever level of connectivity they have by just educating them, by helping them understand what that bandwidth can be used for and, and how they can improve their business and, and, and how they can get more exposure outside the, the city limits, you know, to increase their market. Um, you, you know, this whole thing about, you know, oh, we'll give them a gigabit. I, I was a technology chair at, at um, the public school uh, about 15 years ago. And, you know, of course, back then it was get a computer in the classroom. Well, you put a computer in the classroom, and, you know, when Billy is misbehaving, you go and put him on the computer. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that was how it was being used. Uh, was because the teachers person? didn't, you know, they didn't know how to use it. They, they, so it was a babysitter. I think in a lot of cases throwing a gig at somebody is, is, is the same thing. Um, that 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 we can make more economic impact by by looking at the connectivity that we have, and and going out and talking to the customers and and educating them and um, and developing it that way. Hmm. So so you so so basically the bottom line then is that um, if we were to educate the customers more effectively even though we may only offer, say, 45 megs or or 100 versus a gig, you don't necessarily then uh, have folks, I don't know, say, needing to have a gig. You know, there are those who will work up to it, but basically, you know, by by educating them, you're allowing them to do more with what they have so they're happier with what they have. And... And it sort of pushes off that perception of need to where you know, hey, let's make better use of what you already got. Yeah, and 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 you know, resource, you're making more effective use of all of your resources, including the capital that you would have spent um, installing facilities that they that. So you know, you start talking like this, and people are going, "Well, fiber is the future," and that's how you. And absolutely, if you are going to be building facilities, build fiber. This, when, when, I, when I decided I was going to buy a, a nice 
fancy digital camera, uh, after a little bit of research, it occurred to me that really what I was buying was the lenses. Uh, that's where I was investing my money because the camera was, was, was just disposable because it needed to be upgraded every three or four years because, you know, it was improving. The glass was pretty much staying the same. Um, you know, so if you're building facilities out, build fiber out. It's it is cheaper. It's cheaper to build and cheaper to maintain than copper now, and and you are future proofing. You know your infrastructure, and then populate the ends of it with electronics that that are appropriate. Um, you know, when back at the utility thing, you know, people talking about getting you know putting solar panels on their house. Uh, the, and the, the companies say, okay, well, first you really need to go around your house, make sure that, that you've got the insulation in the attic, make sure you've, you've you know, get weatherproofed all your windows and your doors, and you go around and do this, and you spend a few hundred dollars doing that, and you suddenly realize you've dropped your utility by by 10 or 15%. And then you don't go out and spend $20,000 for the solar cells because, you know, you're, you're you know, it was a better investment to get to that point than it was to move to the next level. So, so uh, uh, gigabits, nice headline stuff. But uh. <laughs> do, you, do you ever get anybody that kind of looks at you strange if you're at conferences and make a comment like that? Oh, you know, all the, I, I, when I tell them it's just plumbing, you know, they look at me like like I'm some sort of a heretic, and and it really. <laughs> That it, it, the techno, it, it is. It's just it, it's the people. It's the only reason we're doing this. And 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 uh, and uh, yeah, we need to change our focus a little bit. You know, there's a lot to be said for that. You know, now I being in the industry and and being one of the speakers, and I have a book. You know, building the gigabit city and so forth. Obviously, those of us in the industry promote the next big thing. But at the yeah. same time, if we're realistic in our, you know, re, you know, and sort of our reality, re, reality-based conversations with the end user, there's there's a lot that doesn't need all of that hype that people could be benefiting from, and we do ourselves a bigger favor probably by allowing us to make uh, incremental improvements and increases without having to go through this whole monstrous process of well, we need to move to, you know, this high mountain today. Yeah. You know, sort of like the wireless versus wired discussion, you know, where um, people get really offended. I suggest that, you know, maybe if we use wireless to provide services that people can use today that are faster than what they're getting today and allow the economy to, you know, benefit from that increase, you know, this might be a less painful way to get to, you know, fiber somewhere down the road, you know, where you, you create a bridge. Because, I mean, if you're going to do fiber, it's going to cost more, so you got to go through the money hunt, and it's going to take longer to build, so you got to go through all of, you know, the actual, you know, the realities of your building uh, limitations. If you have, you know, inclement, inclement weather and all those factors, you got to worry about delays, on and on and on. But yeah. if you say, well, you know, spend $50,000 now to give people faster broadband via wireless so that between now and the next three years it would take you to build out a full-blown fiber network, people are benefiting today. And I sense that's what you're, you know, that's, that's what you're, you're advocating here. Absolutely. And, 
you know, doing a fiber project, of course, isn't cheap. Um, it's, it's a big commitment. It's a long-term commitment. Um, uh, you know, we've been building our network now for, for you know, since 87, I guess. We've got about 400, about 450, I guess, miles of fiber in, in Springfield mm-hmm. here. And, and we're not close to everybody even yet. Um, and so... Uh, so how do you build a network like that? You know, you got to convince people, you know, that that, that to, to spend the money. You got to convince them the need is there, all of that. So how about if you how about if you go the opposite direction, and and get your users integrated into the process and 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 make make it more useful to them and make it harder for them to be without the connectivity and 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 then what you know. The rest is going to take care of itself. Uh, mm-hmm. It's you know you know once, boy, our customers we, you know our bandwidth consumption has not gone down <laughs> for any of right. our customers. Exactly. And so so you know you you, you do it one way or the other, but but uh, but I, I don't know. I guess I'm a little bit more of a, of a grassroots, and I and I think overall I think you're going to have a much more positive effect. Mm-hmm. So how do you? Um you know, you talked about grassroots. Do you guys have a, I don't know, some 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 sort of process meetings, town halls, whatever, where you actively encourage and involve the grassroots? I mean, like, what kinds of specific things gets the grassroots to, you know, think about something as boring as broadband? <laughs> yeah, get them as excited as I am. You mean? Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. Maybe it might be a little little bit of a stretch, but um, so we. I personally actually am involved in um, multiple groups in, in Springfield. Uh, we have a uh, group called MATA, Mid America Technology Alliance, which is a a group that tries to bring entrepreneurial uh, uh, talent pools in, in Springfield together and, and technical resources and business resources together. Um, I, you know, we have uh, One Million Cups is in Springfield now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so uh, we attend all the One Million Cups. Um, I mean, basically, any of the entrepreneurial uh, technology meetings, I, I you know, I, I go to our, our local um, .NET user group, uh, you know, which is Microsoft development kinds of guys, um, and and talk about broadband to them, and and you know, tr- explain what what it means, and you know, what these different speeds mean, and how that, you know, what they need to be doing to to take advantage of it, and. Um, and we, I, I mentioned to you we're, we're going to we're going to have a hackathon here um, that that we're going that is going to be a, a major educational uh, uh, program, I guess, uh, to talk about broadband and, uh, uh, and and how you develop and use it. So. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the, the the youth, the young entrepreneur part. That's. You know that's that's interesting. I mean, uh, that's kind of how you first caught my attention was this willingness to engage uh, teenagers and and the youth realm or, or segment of your market. How important is it to engage the youth um, in these discussions of broadband? Because I think that if you look at the typical organization. 
And if you look at the typical public utility organization, which is conservative and traditional by nature, you know, asking them to involve, you know, teenagers and 20-somethings must sound like heresy in its own right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking a reach here, you know. I haven't talked to all the utilities, but I am just guessing that this is not the norm, but it was for you. And how did that come about, and what do you see as the advantages of um, cultivating youth support for your broadband efforts? You know, uh, if you're in business, you have to know your market. Mm-hmm. And, and and ours is a market that is changing as fast as the technology is because because that's who our market is. Um, and and their their viewpoint on things, you know, their worldview is mm-hmm. is just completely different than mine. And 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 I think I'm I think I'm fairly high up as far as keeping up with the technology, but but just the way they integrate it into their lives and what their expectations are and 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 you know their whole you know their expectations of privacy in mine and 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 their and and, and connectivity and level of connect, and type of connectivity and 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 those are the things that that I have to I have to take care of in one way. You know, we we connect all the public schools, uh, a gigabit to every school, and we have ten gigabit to, to all of our high schools, and and so they're on my network and using it. And and what you know, what services are they using? What is what does their bandwidth look like? Uh, and without talking to them, you're not going to know that. And I'm buying equipment that theoretically has a five year lifespan, and 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 the world's moving a whole lot faster than that. So mm-hmm. so if if I can't get just you know whispers of of, uh, of 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 what's going on out there uh to help me guide, you know, my decisions then then you know I I could make a mistake that that I live with for the next 5 years and nobody wants to do that. And and they're and and mostly it is just it's just watching them and talking to them and and asking them what they're doing and 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 you know and explaining how the internet works to them because most people don't even know that you know so it's just like okay well, it was pretty easy it's like this and 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 then they start asking questions and even from their questions you get an idea of of what they're thinking and where they want to go and and uh, so actually at broadband. Uh, uh, kind of, kind of like that from the uh, broadband summit. Uh, when, you know, of course, that started as broadband properties. It was people that had large, uh, you know, multi-unit complexes, and, and it used to be a pool was how you, how they got people to rent their property. And now it's broadband, and they were trying to figure it out. But they always have a presentation by somebody who has a housing for uh, college students. And and that is one of my that's always one of my favorite presentations there because the college the, the things that they have to do to to keep their college students happy are the things that I'm going to have to do once they graduate. Ah yes right okay that makes a lot of sense. So um, <clears throat> it's a uh, you know it's interesting now that we're having this discussion I kind of realize um, that when people talk about their planning teams and and how they got started, you know, I mean, just across the board, not even just the utilities, I rarely hear folks talk about the involvement of, uh, say, the colleges 
on the uh, on the on the planning side. You know, they'll talk about they have this and they have that and so forth. And I mean, they they get feedback from the colleges, they get feedback from the school districts, but it doesn't sound like there's um, there's a kind of integrated planning that when you put together your core team, your core team has, you know, a representative from the business side and there's a broadband champion and there's the city manager and all of these kinds of things. Do they, you know, I have a question about do they really add, you know, representation from the colleges and the schools, or I should say maybe from young people, because I, 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 there very well may be, like a representative from the college, you know, someone from IT or someone at that level, but actual students, I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're doing that. I mean, you guys are, it, uh, uh, are obviously, but I don't know how far spread that is. Yeah, and, and I, you know, kind of makes sense. If, 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 if you're selling something to a market, you should kind of know who that market is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think traditionally... If you have a discussion about high-end, multi-million-dollar technology deployments, the last place anybody would go is to a bunch of kids. And I, I really think that that would, that would be the mindset of, with a lot of folks. They'll go to consultants, yeah. the planners, they'll go to professional planners, they'll go to professional economic development people. They will go to a lot of places, but I don't think they would go to um, to teenagers. And I would probably say they would probably not go to seniors, you know, having a session with a bunch of, of, of senior folks or having some, you know, several seniors on a planning committee, I'm, I'm not sure, because I think people have, there's, there seems to be an assumption by a lot of folks, rightly or wrongly, well, I shouldn't consider it wrong, but that seniors aren't big users. But I think data has proven that seniors are indeed big users. I just don't know how how well they're integrated into the planning processes. Yeah, or the educational processes. Right. Yeah, I I I I I absolutely agree. I mean, I I attend. A, there's an organization here called the Collective, which is a bunch of artists and interior designers, and you know, a, a, a right brainers, which I am not. Uh, because because that's the kind of input I need, I, you know. I the internet is supposed to be a collaborative tool, and and it's it isn't it isn't you know about watching cat videos. It's about interacting and 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 finding resources and developing resources and and extending community and and uh, um, and and I get some really really good input from the uh, uh, from the graphic designers. As, as as far as as what we should be doing. Hmm. Um. That's that's very interesting. So now, how, how do we change that? Is how do we get how do we get some sort of change among folks who are traditional thinkers, right? Because we talk about you know how to how to do certain tactics when you have city council or county council folks who are like 80 years old and haven't had a progressive thought in 40 years, you know, we, we talk about how to either to involve them or isolate them or whatever, but there's like a, there's an approach to that. Do we yeah. have people talking about the approach to engaging youth or the approach to engaging uh, seniors into this broadband planning and broadband execution effort. 
Not a lot. Um, you know, I, once again, I think I think we're people are so busy about feeds and speeds and and you know you got you got one gig. Well, I've got ten. Oh, I got a hundred. Um, uh, I, I and and whatever I have is probably what they want. And so I'll you know I, I don't need to ask them. And uh, and and yeah, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a very organic. Um, Landing brush, you know. So, 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 can I hit on the hackathon just a little bit? Yeah, no, go ahead. Because I was going to bring the hackathons and hacker spaces in a second, anyway. So, oh, okay. Well, and it actually kind of this this kind of segues into that. Um, and, and so, so we were at a, a uh, uh, summit in Kansas City and and listened to people from the Kansas City Startup Village. Uh, and they were talking about having Google Fiber and how great it was, but also how frustrating it was because Chattanooga is a Google is a, uh, a gigabit city, but but when they when, when they tried to inter- collaborate or, or or connect to Chattanooga, they had it was it was terrible, um, you know. I, and I guess I liken it to you, you get out your front door and you get on a bullet train and you're just getting up to speed, and all of a sudden you hit the city limits and you got to. Get off the bullet train and get on a Greyhound bus, to, to, you know, to, to go wherever it is. And it's it's just it's the way the incumbents, you know, uh, it, it's the way peering arrangements and net neutrality and, and all the arguments that they're all having about stuff, and um, and and it frustrated them. Well, I have mul- I have fiber going between Springfield and Kansas City to pick up internet there, and. I did a little investigation in Google's peering point, where it was in that same building where where where, where I was getting internet, and so it's you know we heard Milo Medine say you know if if you're waiting for Google to come to your your city, if that's your business plan, it's not a plan. You got to take mm. things into your own hands. Right. And of course, we've done that, you know. And so I, I so I said, well, okay, so if that is true. Uh, actually, Todd Murray and myself were driving back from Kansas City talking about this, and we're, we're like, if that's true, we got connectivity there. Why don't we directly interconnect our gigabit city with Kansas City at, at, at that peering point, we'll, and, and see if see if Google will let us do that? And we presented it to them, and they they said absolutely. And so, so we now have a direct connection between. Springfield and its gigabit network, and Kansas City and its network, and and it reduced the t- the time the transit time between the two cities uh, by a factor of ten. Hmm. And so we're down for the techie people. We're down to about five milliseconds between our cities, and we're about two hundred miles apart. And so from from my desk to somebody in the fiberhood is about is about five milliseconds. So now it's like, so what do we do with this? What do you do now that that you know that communities are now connected as though they're one community? And the more we talked, it's it's people don't under people don't know. Uh, developers don't know what they need to do. That you know they they're not used to developing to a network interface. Or you know most developers develop to a user interface. You know what does it look like graphically? But but oh. this is a whole new world now. And 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 uh, uh, and transparency and IP. You know there's just so many things. And and so we said, well, let's have a hackathon and and we'll we'll kind of showcase this. Except they said, you know, we did this a year ago, and we had a gigabit hackathon, and people showed up, and they just really just didn't know what to do. Um, so 
so we're starting early. So we are we are both of us are having educational programs uh, to bring developers together and to bring the, the 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 artists together and 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 talk about what what this new paradigm is and 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 what it means you know as we move forward. Um, and and so in October we're gonna our two community our communities are going to collaborate uh, and and. Uh, to explore, you know, using a hackathon to explore what we can do with this this new level of connectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, five milliseconds. I think it would be cool to have the Springfield Symphony and the Kansas City Symphony perform together because with that kind of latency, they could. Mm-hmm. Well, and both of us video the other one and 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 do a you know and just stuff like that, you know, um, and that brings in, you know, the. Not just the not just the geeks, but but the artists and the musicians and 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 there's just you know it, it's pretty exciting stuff. So, just to to, to help the layperson understand, how exactly does Springfield connect directly to Kansas City without building a 200 mile fiber pipe? But I gather that's not what you're doing. <laughs> no. I wish, but uh, <laughs> you know, you know, it's it has got it, it is amazingly affordable to uh, to purchase bandwidth, and and it is it is cheaper for us to purchase bandwidth through one of our partners from Springfield to, to Kansas City, uh, and and then purchase internet wholesale at in Kansas City um, than it is to buy to buy internet to have it delivered here locally in Springfield. And so so we have you know two 1 gigabit connections that are un, unrestricted uh between here and there but I I think they're they're basically uh uh they're running on somebody else's fiber. Huh. So so technically then you can do this if I'm understanding correctly, you can do this with other gig cities. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think you're right. People don't understand it because I've had conversations with folks, and you know, we, they're always talking about, well, wouldn't it be nice if they, if we could do this? What, wouldn't it be nice um, if we could somehow figure out how to get folks directly connected? And I, and I think you're right. People don't understand that it can be done and how it can be done, and probably the ease with which it can be done because it's kind of still looked at as this voodoo thing, this magic. Yeah. It happens out there somewhere, and it's real easy. It's plumbing. I mean, it really is. Um, and you know, I, I was I was explaining this to a, a, a Chad who is just graduating from college, is on my hackathon team, and 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 he he looks at me, and he said, "Oh, he said so, he said so you are kind of doing to the carriers what Google did to the ISPs." They said, you know what, the service is, is not what we want. You're charging too much for it. We're going to come in and we're going to change the model. He said, you're just, you're just changing how the cities interconnect and just throwing that in, you know. And, and I, I said, you know what, you are exactly right. Huh. This is why you want 20-year-olds. <laughs> right, because they look at it not through the jaded eyes of uh, antiquity, but through the wide-eyed wonder <laughs> of youth and 
You know, yeah. I kind of like that. Yeah. That could be a Hallmark card. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I'd buy it. And I don't buy, you know, but no, I would buy that one. Oh, shucks. Interesting. Very, very, very interesting. So so we can get there from here. We just need, um, you know, there was an interesting comment uh, that was made earlier today, and this is probably going to be our <clears throat> last topic because we're almost out of time. But there's a big debate about, diversity programs and affirmative action and, you know, why do we need to have, um, you know, minority representation and so forth and so on. And the pushback on those questions was very simply that different people, whether it's by gender, by ethnicity, by, you know, part of the country, they bring different perspectives. And the ability to do a good job is not just a question of did you get a Harvard degree or a business degree or what have you. It's all of these life experiences because those experiences get you to ask questions that other folks wouldn't ask because your perspective is different from theirs. And if all you have are 100 people that look like you, you're going to get, you know, slight variations on the same thing as opposed to someone who comes at it from a completely different perspective. And I think what you're describing is that reality, that you bring in the youth, that you bring in the seniors, you bring in uh, low-income folks and so forth because their perspective is different and they will see answers that that other folks won't see. Yeah, and that's the only way you're going to generate new ideas. I mean, otherwise you're in like a digital echo chamber. when I hire somebody, they just they have to have the skills, but they just have to be different than the other people I have. <laughs> and that logic makes so much sense to me. I find it difficult to understand how the business community and all these you know MBAs running around have not figured out this simple truth. Hey, no, I'm an MBA, so be careful there. It's... Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Not all MBAs. <laughs> <laughs> You got to run a business too. You know, this is not just all all technology. You got to run a business. Uh, okay, fine. <laughs> so, in 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 about ninety seconds, what's next for for SpringNet? What's your next big hill you're going to climb? You know, I I have a pilot project for software defined networking. I think it is going to be the thing that one of the, there's two things that's going to change things and software defined networking is one but probably the shorter term i really think is ipv6 and restoring you know end to end transparency and 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 the things that that'll bring mhm excellent well we'll keep an eye out for that you know feed me information has comfortable because you know i always need to uh, to know what's going on and what other folks are doing, because I think that sounds very interesting, especially the IP6 stuff, because that's very foreign to me. Um, yeah, and, and but it's it should, huge. But it shouldn't be. Um, so, you know, so definitely keep us in touch. Well, Todd, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us today and giving us all these great insights. I really appreciate it. Hey, Craig, I've enjoyed it. And to our audience, thank you very much for listening in. On Thursday, uh, the battle plan for the moment anyway is to talk about computing centers, uh, especially those that were stimulus funded, and what happens when the stimulus money runs out. How do you take what is inherently not a money-making operation and turn it into some sort of a uh, revenue generator? 
So I think that a lot of communities have this issue, face this problem. So be, be tuning in for our next show um, and, and have a great day. We'll talk again soon.